here we are today is instigating women and friends and we're very happy to have a guest julianne and just for all of you who might be tuning in for the very first time instigating women and friends is a podcast and a vlog that's really designed by women for women and friends um, in support of power empowerment professional and personal um, we're really driving toward how do we have equity in the workforce and how do we all get those women back into the workforce that might have left over the last few years finally we like to be a little bit provocative and ask questions or give people the permission to have new creative ideas uh, to help make this workforce work for women. So Kate, uh, you invited Julianne to be with us here today. So do you want to go ahead with an intro? Absolutely. Um, so I first met Julianne a couple of years ago when I was working in tech. Um, she's who you will refer, you will hear me refer to as the good boss that I had. Um, she is of course not the only good boss, but she's the most recent great boss. And um, so when I refer to a good boss, I, I'm typically talking about Julianne. So uh, surprise reveal. Um, Julianne has 20 years of uh, communications experience, um, mostly in technology, all in Silicon Valley. Um, she joins us here as the creator um, of the Wishbone Foundation and uh, is a mom of three boys, um, twins, and an extra, um, <laughs> and uh, the dog mom of Wishbone, who's been with her for 15 years. Um, so we'll talk a little bit today about how um, Julianne found her passion around um, the Wishbone Foundation and what was it was like to create that and whatever else comes up. So um, my first question, Julianne, selfishly is um, how did you come across the idea? And secondary question, which we're coaches, so we're not supposed to ask two questions at once. So I'm violating my own rule. Um, but my second question is like, how hard was it to, to put it all together? Uh... Thank you, Kate and Gwen. Thanks for having me. Um, the so the wish so to step back so people know what it is. The Wishbone Foundation is a very small animal nonprofit, and we help people care for special needs pets. That's the basic um, goal of the organization. And so, a special needs pet is pet maybe that has lost mobility, um, maybe has had an accident, and so requires extra care. Um, it's, it's a loose definition, but it's sort of a pet that requires more than just what you would need because your pet is aging, right? Um, and we started in, we opened our doors in November of 2021. And the idea for the organization came because I have my own special needs pet in Wishbone. That's his name, hence the foundation, um, where he has a degenerative spine. So when he was 12, he started to kind of wobble when he was walking and took him to the vet. They said, oh, he has a degenerative spine, which basically means he had six uh, popped uh, vertebrae. And so, um, and they really couldn't fix it. It was too many to be able to go into his spine and fix them all. So it was all about figuring out how to just make life as comfortable as possible for him. He, he's, wasn't in a lot of pain. It was just more losing the mobility in his legs. And it's really expensive. So it's like 
MRIs and physical therapists and constant specialty, uh, uh, specialty vets and stuff. So I just felt like, gosh, I'm so lucky that I work in tech and that I have a nice tech salary and I'm able to do this for him. People love their pets. And if, you know, if they don't have that opportunity, the only other alternative is just to put their pet down. So I thought, well, maybe there's a way to just help people. Um, and uh, that's why the foundation was built, is I thought, well, if we could do a it's not that much, but it's a lot in the beginning, and there's a lot that people just can't get over the hump financially to be able to do that. So we thought we'd help. That's fantastic. Um, and so how hard was it to pull, pull it together once you had the idea? It... The <laughs> The hardest part has been understanding all the requirements to set up and deal with, not deal with, but meet compliance regulations on having a nonprofit organization because it's confusing. So it's confusing to figure out what do you need to do for the state? What do you need to do federally? What do you need to file? What do you need to keep filing? That's actually been the hardest part. The rest of it hasn't been all that hard. We, we have a board, there's three of us on the board um that wasn't that hard to set up the the um actual we thought it was going to be a lot harder to find funding to get people to submit applications social media has been awesome so we do everything through social media that's how we find all of the people who donate money through social media friends and family that's how we find people to um apply all of that actually wasn't that hard. And I think part of it is because we've kept it really small. I mean, we're really tiny and I just, I kind of do it between meetings. I check applications and things like that. So it hasn't really been as hard as I thought it was gonna be. It's the compliance regulation and just making sure you don't know what you don't know. So that's been the hardest part. Gwen, do you have a question? Well, I was just thinking, looking back then, is there one or two things that you would offer to somebody thinking about creating a foundation for various purposes that you wish you knew when you were starting? Uh, I, that's a great question. I think not really that I wish I knew, but some of the things we've learned along the way is we've learned as we as we go, we learn as we go and we refine as we go. So even just the parameters of how we decide who's going to get aid um, has been somewhat of a journey um, and we've refined it as we go. Being very flexible in how we approach it, we thought what we were going to do was partner with specific vets and that are the need, the animals would come to us through those vets. That has not been the case at all. Um, it has been much smarter for us to be broader. We serve anybody in the United States who needs help. Um, and we talk to their vet. We don't have specific vets that we work with, but that has been a refinement process over time. So, and then I think having um, somebody in your corner who has done this before. So we have a really, a couple people, one, um, somebody who uh, is a donor, who has a lot of experience in nonprofit has really helped us a lot because especially on that compliance side, she's brought stuff to our attention that we had no idea even existed. 
and then having a couple people in our corner who have done um, animal rescue, animal nonprofit, their advice and guidance has been really instrumental. Great. So what I'm hearing is um, getting some, those with the know-how early on was super yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Those with the know-how early on. And also just asking people, like I just ask people questions constantly. I did a lot of networking in the beginning, just talking to vets, talking to other nonprofits. How do you raise funds? How did you set this up? And we, I spent the first kind of six months doing a lot of research and picking up the phone and just talking to people. And that helped us figure out, okay, how do we set this up? What are the kinds of guidelines we need? What do we need to ask in the application? You know, there's a lot of like, do you want to have people submit 20 financial records or do you want to go on a trust system? Because it's you, when we talk to people, it's both. You know, some people are like, we need everything. And other people are like, we lead with, we believe you. Mm -hmm. So, and you just kind of have to have those, you have to have those conversations with your board as to how you're going to do it. And you mentioned you your board. <laughs> <laughs> that one's not wishbone, by the way. Timely, timely. <laughs> You've mentioned your board a couple of times. Um, how did you seat your board or decided who participated? Uh, I went with people who I know. So um, I used to be, I'm a runner and I used to be on the board of our local running club for a couple of years. And it worked really well because we had people who are runners, you know, people are really passionate about it, friends, and it stayed small and simple. And so that was kind of our approach. So um, one of my, and then, and then also having talked to, these other nonprofits and understanding what you need. So I made sure to have finance. I made sure to have somebody with animal nonprofit experience. Um, and then my partner used to run a, a nonprofit for animals. Um, and so he's just sort of like a, he didn't want to be on the board, but he's a really good guiding. You know, I ask him a lot of stuff. Advisor. Um, yeah, he's a good, he's a good advisor. So, and we've thought about expanding our board because we don't have any vets on the board. Um, but so far we haven't needed that because vets have been so awesome that, you know, I do a lot of calling vet offices and saying this person has applied and, you know, they'll help me figure out if this is a good one, you know, a good animal to help or, or not a good case. So they just one off. I can just call them and talk to whomever the vet is for the case. And that helps a lot. So nice. That's interesting. Um, we saw a statistic the other day that 67% of vets in the US are women. Um, so just a fun fact that and, and it's, I think only 14% of doctors are women. Um, so it's just kind of an interesting juxtaposition of like you found that the vets are so, and I'm sure it's regardless of gender or or identity, but they, you know, that the vets are so easy to work with. And I can't imagine calling someone's doctor and being like, I just want to talk to you. <laughs> you know? They're they're really appreciative. Like the vet offices, you know that now that you say that, Kate, I think they've all been women. Now <laughs> that you say that, maybe. Um, <laughs> they're really appreciative. Like they're very helpful and some have different, like a lot of times I have to have the person that I'm helping call and they'll say like, she's gonna reach out to you. It's okay to give her whatever information, you know, they're, cause they're always protective of privacy, but just in terms of helping us think it through, they're just really appreciative that there's someone there helping people cause they, 
they understand it. And then the other thing that's a really interesting sort of, I don't know, gender fact is I would say 99% of the people who apply for help are female. Mm -hmm. I think I've talked to two, maybe two guys. So maybe it's not 99%, maybe it's 90, but I think it's been two men who have applied and every, everyone else has been a female, which is it just for what it's worth. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It might be something around, cause you know, when you have a special needs pet, um, there's additional nurturing that has to happen. Yeah. yeah. Strap wishbone into his, his, uh, wheelie do to go for walks. <laughs> You gotta pick him up to let him go downstairs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he can do by himself. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a real corollary to healthcare, and that's my background. Is at least eighty percent of the time, it's the female of the family calling to find out who they want to select as a physician, calling to make appointments for themselves and their friends and their family. Um, and so that uh, I can imagine very similar. Yeah, and care of family members. Yeah. So from a passion or purpose perspective, Julian, what, yes, I understand Wishbone was, he's your little guy and you were like, yeah, this seems like we could do something, but there has to have been something more than just that to, cause it's, it's, it's a lot of work and I'm sure it's a labor of love, but can you speak to us about, you know, what was the tipping point of, I've got to do something. It's worth all this work. It's worth all the, the unknown to make this change. Yes. I think, uh, it's a very good question, Kate. Thank you for asking. I think, um, the, what we actually do is just a way to help people just period. I just, the world's kind of rough. <laughs> and I just think it, I think the real passion is, especially because we, I work in tech and in tech, you always talk about, we're going to change the whole world. And I think there's uh, maybe a personal desire to just help the person instead of changing the whole, like that seems so insurmountable to me, but helping individual people, just making something a little bit easier is I think where the real passion lies. And I'm not really sure I even knew that at the beginning, but I've learned that over time that Yes, we love helping the animals and that's great. But what I actually really like is, you know, somebody might just need a little wheelchair for their little dog. And it might only be 200 bucks, which is pretty easy for us to go get for them. We have really good partnerships with different organizations. We get nice discounts, you know, we get all that sort of stuff. And the notes, and, or it might be, we're paying $3,000 for a surgery. And we work with so many people who, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're a student. They're retired. They're they're a vet. We work with a lot. There's a lot of vets that come through, and it's just like I just don't I just don't have this extra three hundred bucks, or I don't. There's no way I can afford three thousand dollars, and so just helping them get over that hump is I think actually where the where the passion is, and then they can take it from there. It's just that little hump they need to get over, and I don't know. We try to make it easy. We we default to yes, and we try to not overburden them with submitting a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and so I think that's the passion. And it's the notes that come back. I lit, the number of notes I've gotten back where somebody go, I can't believe someone actually helped me. I can't believe this was so fast. I think that's 
the real, like over time I've learned that's the real motivation. And it just happens to be through a, a service that relates to animals. Cause it's something I knew cause it was an experience I had. Makes me a little verklempt just in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know, it, it, something that seems so insurmountable it is, is you've got a partner there who's like, Hey, you don't have, you don't have to make the really tough decision to put your little guy down. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot of people too, who will come to us after they've already spent a lot of money and they're like, I've are, I mean, I just did one where she's like, I've already spent $14,000 and I just don't have any more money. And she's like, and this is all I have left. Like, I just need to do this one last thing, you know? And so um, I just, yeah, I think it's, and I think the fact that we try to make it easy is a big part of kind of our you know, value proposition. <laughs> I don't want it to, you can't take eight weeks to approve something. Like I want to be able to get what I need and be like, yeah, we'll do this for you. I'll have a little cheer on Monday, you know? So It can't take a ton of time. Because no. the time between now and when they get whatever assistance they need could mean quality of life. And you don't want to. You know, right. That's right. Gwen, anything else on your end? Hmm. In the last few months, we'll call it post-pandemic, research is showing that men and women alike now prefer women leaders because they, number one, have wisdom, but number two, show compassion. And I'm just sensing that compassion from you, obviously with the foundation, but assuming you live that professionally as well. Um, today is my first time to meet you, but wondering, you know, do you, do you see that, that your compassion bleeds through in your leadership style? I, can I don't know, Kate, you answer that, does it? <laughs> I was going to take that one. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, Julie and I have been through some pretty stressful times. We launched a communications tool to the entire um, Fortune 50 company that I used to work for um, to 130,000 people. Um, and uh, it was no small feat standing it up. And it was um, a huge stressor to, to sustain it over time. And the ability as an employee to come to Julianne and, and explain what was going on and have a thought partner who could, you know, troubleshoot with you or listen to you because, you know, sometimes it's frustrating um, or um, take some of the work because um, there's just too much to do um, was an incredibly huge asset for me. Um, it was a job that I wasn't uh, can I say this? I didn't really want to do it, <laughs> but Julianne was new when, when this was getting off of its, um, feet and I didn't want to run away, um, <laughs> and leave her with that. And, um, the compassion that she showed, um, and, and the pragmat, the pragmatism, pragmatism, um, uh, I'm book read, um, book learned, um, the pragmatism that she showed during this time was, was a huge asset um to the team um and just being able to say okay this is something impossible can you know, let's either figure out if it's not impossible together um and the ability to be vulnerable and say hey i can't figure this out 
Um, I think Julian's compassion and um, and honesty and integrity are what allowed me to kind of flourish under that um, and just be able to to come to her with problems and not hide problems and not, you know, <laughs> pretend there wasn't problems um, because of fear. So yeah, I would say um, really great leader to, um, to do some really stressful stuff under before I left in my last, uh, you know, 20 years or so. Thank you, Kate. That's very nice. <laughs> and then I'll just conclude by saying all that takes courage. It takes courage to be authentic. It takes courage to listen to people that might be stuck or want to vent um, and not whine and still move stuff, tough stuff forward. So kudos to you, Julianne. And wondering if you have any um, tips, advice, or anything you want to offer those that might be listening today. Uh I get, uh, first, thank you guys for having me. I guess sort of I'm ruminating on your earlier question about like, what didn't I know, you know, or what would I help people as they're thinking about doing something like this? I think that the thing I would say is just don't overcomplicate. I feel like we overcomplicate a lot in this world. And if you just peel back the layers, it shouldn't things shouldn't just shouldn't have to be that complicated. So if there's a way that you, and also don't overthink it. If there's a way that you want to help, just give it a go, see what happens. You know, I didn't think through the, the whole thing when I was setting it up, I was just like, okay, we'll just take one step at a time. And then we've just tried to keep it pretty simple and also manageable. I don't try to do too much. I mean, our initial goal was to help two animals a month we have far exceeded that, um, which is awesome. We've helped almost um, 50 now in a, a year and a quarter, which we're really proud of. Um, we've raised uh, uh, over $40,000, which we're really proud of. Um, and we've done it in a way that's kept it manageable for us and, and made it not a burden on the people who need help. So I think I would just leave people with, if you see something you wanna do, just get started and try not to overcomplicate or overthink it. You'll learn as you go and that's fine. Perfect. Kate, any concluding thoughts? Just a huge thank you for joining us today. Um, I learned some stuff as I, as I think about where I wanna make an impact in the world and just appreciate you and appreciate Gwen for the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Thanks you both. I appreciate you being here. Great to meet you. You too. So let's go do good in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and have a great weekend thanks you guys too